Hello, and welcome to the Flip and Shift podcast. My name is Julie Walls. This podcast was based on the Flip and Shift's tagline, flipping your thinking to then shifting your behavior. The Flip and Shift podcast focuses on temperament to then how we evolve in our thinking to which influences our behaviors. We create belief systems throughout life, which affects the outcomes in our lives. Did you know that you can reprogram these belief systems? to produce the outcomes you so desire. No matter what you're dealing with, there will always be a solution for you. So this podcast should give you some hope. Yay! With each episode, we'll be chatting with leading experts in the field that have overcome struggles of their own. They found their way to overcome areas in their lives that needed focus and are now actually helping others to find their way. We all have a story to share. Let's learn from our past to change our future, and most importantly, inspire and help others along the way. If you are wanting to feel empowered, inspired, and are ready to make those changes in your life, you are subscribed to the right podcast. And hey, thank you so much for your support. Now, grab your favorite drink or snack, turn up the volume, kick back, and enjoy this chat. Heidi Rendina, you guys, she is a nationally board certified health and wellness coach and American Council on Exercise Personal Training and Nutrition Coach. She's the owner of Fierce Grace Wellness, a cell to soul practice. Heidi has overcome eating disorders, Mm -hmm. depression, body dysmorphia, which we're going to be talking about, and is five years clean and sober, which is so Good job. Awesome. Thanks, Julie. Heidi will discuss her journey to sobriety. We will also be discussing the struggles women and men face with body dysmorphia disorder. It's insanely prevalent. Actually, body dysmorphia can present in so many ways, and we will discuss how it affects men and women physically and mentally, you guys. And one of the things that I wanted to quote about body dysmorphia and the prevalence of it is the prevalence of body dysmorphic disorder, also known as body dysmorphia, is estimated to affect approximately 2.0% of the general population, which is phenomenal, okay? But the condition may be more common in some groups such as teens, women, or people with a pre-existing psychiatric condition. So you guys, there's a lot to talk about today with that. Heidi is here to share her remarkable story, and we are so honored, you guys. And she's my first in-studio podcast, which is super exciting, you guys. And she's sharing a major milestone with us. So without further ado, Heidi Rendina, you guys. Yay, I'm so excited. Thank you, so you're welcome. And thank you so much for coming on this podcast. So exciting. Yes. Okay, yes. so Heidi, let's get right to it. Okay, all right. Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're living, how many children you have. Mm-hmm. Are you married? Yes. Dogs, cats, right. everything. Right, thanks, Julie. Really. <laughs> well, I'm just... First of all, I just want to thank you so much for yeah. having the opportunity to be here. I'm super grateful. So yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm, uh, I live here in the Flathead Valley. I've been here, gosh, for over 22 years now. I was born and raised out by Flathead Lake and then married to Kevin of 22 years. I'm a mother to Brendan, Brianna, and Jake, 25. Brendan is 25. Tell me a little bit about him. 
Brendan James. Well, we're going to go into Brendan something. James, yeah, like Sounds James. like a movie star, you guys. Yes. And he, he does have <laughs> a, a, a different dad than what Brianna and Jake have. So, okay. and he's 25. He runs his own construction and drywall company mm-hmm. here in the Faha Valley. Mm-hmm. And then we have Brianna, who is a senior at Montana State University. She's finished up her senior year in her in four years, she's going to be graduating four years with her college degree. That's pretty, amazing. Pretty, yeah. Pretty pumped about that. At, we're at, again, Montana yeah. State University Mine. in Bozeman. In Bozeman. Great, yeah. great town. Yes. Awesome. And then there we have Jake. Jake is 18. He's a senior at Glacier High School. And right now he is in the, the thick of his football season. Jake is really tremendous with his athletic talents and abilities. He is the top running back in the state of Montana. And he has even world records in powerlifting. So at 17, he set the world records for powerlifting in um, squat bench and deadlift. So I'm a pretty proud mom. I'm really grateful. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Jake. I hope you're tuning in, Jake. Support your mama, but amazing job, Jake. That is unbelievable. At 17 years old. (laughs) Yes. Everybody, every single person in her family. Okay. And your husband is Kevin and he's, he's a pretty amazing chef. I mean, there's so much talent you guys and and raised in New York. Yes. And so Long Island, I've never been to where he lives yet. And then he went to culinary school and he's a professional, you know, college executive chef. And Mm -hmm. so he's got quite the artist. It's an artist, right? Like I go follow a recipe. He goes into a fridge or a cupboard and comes out with this magic. It's like unbelievable what he can create. I think they're like chemists. Don't you think? Oh, it's unbelievable. Like, how did you do that? Right? No. The sauces. I like to go in and grab my macaroni and cheat. Heidi's going to kill me because she's actually my personal trainer and coach. So I actually like to go in and, and read the label on yeah. the macaroni and cheese. And I'm a chemist. I just, I created macaroni and cheese. I'm, the, I'm that terrible of a cook. Well, butter can pretty much make anything taste butter. good. Oh, ask my husband. If I don't cook with butter, he has a coronary. Yeah. Okay, okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so yes. much for sharing that. Okay. Yes. So Heidi, tell us a little bit. So you grew up in Western Montana. So you guys, where we're currently located is, is actually kind of outside of Glacier yeah. National Park. It's an amazing area. It's the people here. I mean, you'll learn about Heidi are just salt of the earth. I mean, they're amazing people yeah. down to earth, never get frazzled, you know, and just kind of living life. I mean, in this amazing area and yeah. just, I don't know. I just feel like it's such a different vibe here yeah. than where I'm from. And Heidi's such a cool person, you guys. So let's talk a little bit about your upbringing. Okay. We're going to start because everything with mental health usually starts at the roots, the foundation, yeah. right? Yes. So childhood upbringing, let's talk a little bit about what that was like for you. Okay. I was really blessed with the opportunity to grow up in a really beautiful area. So Flathead Lake is the largest body of water, this side of the Mississippi. It's yeah. gorgeous, beautiful, right against the mountain. So it's beautiful. And we were one mile up on the mountain looking down into Flathead Lake. So my dad is a, was a logger, is a logger. You know, he's in his eighties now. He's retired and he had gotten that land 11 acres next to forest service land. So it was a utopia of a childhood in the sense of, I had this beautiful area to grow up in. I mean, a forest, Mm -hmm. I mean, it literally played in the forest and there was no other houses around. So we were out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm the oldest of uh, two sisters. So yeah. And we just dive into it, you know, about some of the realities of growing up. So that part was a beautiful, you know, childhood. But since we're talking about what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. you know, both my parents come from alcoholic family and they're, they're alcoholics. So mm-hmm. my dad's dad died from the disease of alcoholism, like literally cirrhosis of the liver. Mm-hmm. I don't know too much of the generational background from there. And I know that my mom's dad, my grandfather struggled with it as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily see the ugliness of it, but um, I don't know that he worked a program recovery. There's that thing of, if you don't do that, you have, 
you're a dry drunk. You're just what, what's a dry drunk? What a is dry that? drunk is someone that is still irritable, restless, and discontent, even though they don't drink alcohol. Really? They're pretty mad at life because people aren't performing the way they would want them to. So they're not drinking no. necessarily. No. But they but they have an agitation oh, yeah. that resonates with mm-hmm. an, a person that has an alcoholic. Yeah. Okay. Because alcohol yes. is but a symptom of the disease. Right. It's interesting. I've yeah. never heard of dry drunk. Yeah. So absolutely. They're dry drunk because what's going to take the place of the alcohol? Anger? I don't know. Well, oh, yeah, that's right. But see, when you work a program of recovery or yeah. have a spiritual awakening, there's something that's going to take the place of that alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because alcohol was what soothed patterns smooth everything okay i'm sorry yeah yeah, 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 yes so, yeah yeah so my, my my upbringing was that you know i mean um they did the best they could and i'm really grateful for life i'm so grateful to to, mm-hmm. to be here mm-hmm. you know my mom and dad did the best they could but yeah. they came from some really great hardships and, and and as my dad's sister said when i met with her about three years ago you know got the word that she used heidi your dad's upbringing was absolutely brutal he was brutalized oh man. he had the most brutal upbringing he was absolutely brutalized Wow. And that's the reality of it. So I know we're going to talk a little about the ACE. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the emotional and physical harm that was done to my dad over his course of his life was really, you know, great. He is, he's a survivor. Yeah. But there's some things that really hurt him deeply. Yeah. You know, and some, a lot of things that manifested in some real live disease. Right. 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 Anyhow. And for those folks that are not familiar with the ACE study. It's the adverse childhood events. It's a study that took place over several years. Unfortunately, I don't have my, do you have the thing right here? here. Okay. So, and I think it's really important because people do not recognize the absolute importance of this study. I mean, we're talking from 1995 to 1997. They, they utilized over 17,000 participants and they looked at different traumas. Now, you know, we all kind of look at what trauma is and it can be, Oh, it's just some sort of massive devastation Mm -hmm. event, but trauma can be emotional trauma. I mean, it can be anywhere where you're dealing with a parent that's, you know, has narcissistic tendencies. There's a lot of emotional abuse. There's, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse. There's all sorts of things that happen in our childhood because we're so vulnerable, right? I mean, and so the study was so important because what it looked at was outcomes later in life in regards to, you know, alcoholism, you know, overuse of pornographic material, also substance abuse, mental health disorders. There's actually chronic illness outcomes off of this study. This study is so important. It's a landmark study. And you guys, so if you want to learn a little bit more about it, I highly, highly recommend looking it up on the NIH Mm -hmm. website. There's so many articles on it. There's TED Talks on it. It's a really, really amazing study. And it gives us so much insight into how our childhoods affect us tremendously down the road. I mean, you never think that, you know, one day you're going to have chronic illness and how it can relate to what happened to our childhood. So thank you for bringing that up, but I want you to keep continuing on. So let's talk a little bit about the social emotional aspect of your health. I love this question. Yes. Okay. So answer that. Yes. You know, (laughs) what what Julie's asking here is she's asking me to talk about the impact of my social emotional health, the development, as well as emotional coping skills. Yeah. Um, She's asking about self-image, coping skills, compartmentalization. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then this word right here, reactionary versus Proactionary response. Holy cow. No shit. <laughs> right? right? So, I mean, coping skills, yeah. emotional intelligence, you know, waking up to be who I am today. I came to the table with very little. Both my husband and I 
really didn't have that much emotional intelligence because right. we both came from parents didn't really have those skill sets right. at all. Right. You know, um, we were, we were of ourselves, we were going and doing, making life be the way that we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, knowing what I know now, you know, the alcoholic is a very selfish and self-centered person. Right. And, and only if the rest of the world would get the memo, yeah, everything would be great. Right. Right. So that's a, that's um, a great, that's a great yeah. way of explaining. So it's, it, you know, that's just a lot of it. And, and, and so just even more of that, my coping skills were little to none. So feelings and emotions, right? I was taught and become a product of our environments. I was taught on how to manage my feelings and emotions with alcohol. Yeah. Doing and going and being. Yes. Always, always this perpetual. If something came into our presence, it was always kind of like the sky is falling. It was always kind of catastrophizing. And it was always reactionary. There was no proactionary response. Right. Right. So that's that. That is so true though. I mean, truly. And and unfortunately, if we have parents that, you know, alcoholism is so prevalent in so many different families. I really do think it's so unfortunately, I mean, it's like a pandemic and oh, for sure. But so is so many things like, I mean, like right. obesity rate. I mean, that's a pandemic. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know. Well, and the thing <laughs> is with alcoholism and I, and I can speak, cause I always like to try to find commonality pieces here. So, you know, my family has alcoholism in it mm-hmm. going way further back. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather, he actually passed away from alcoholism. Yeah. You know, he died in, I think in his sixties, mm-hmm. which is a pretty young age. It is. And then my mother and, and all of her siblings were the product of that. And, you know, my mother was really cognizant of anything alcohol related mm-hmm. because it scarred her. It was, oh, yeah. it was very traumatic, yeah. but you know, unfortunately, if that's not dealt with, meaning like if you are the product of an alcoholic, it's not dealt with. I mean, you're carrying around, I'm, I'm just going to say it, a ginormous shit bag of stuff. Yeah. Right. Fearfulness, perfectionistic in, yeah. tendencies, yeah. people pleasing. Yes. I mean, and then you become codependent and I'm not saying that yes. my mother is, but there are codependency factors. Yeah. And then you mm-hmm. have these byproducts, right? right? Myself, my brothers and sisters. Yeah. And then there's things that come up, you know, that we've dealt with in our lives. And I'm only going to speak on my behalf, but codependency has been a part of my life. And, you know, you look at that and you're like, okay, well, how does that break out emotional codependency? Mm-hmm. So I struggled with that and I had mm-hmm. to, to get the help with that, but yeah. I don't want to take away from your story, but I do no, think thank you for sharing. it's, it's interesting how it doesn't, even if you're not drinking, yeah. if, if you're not a drinker, right. Yeah. And even you're like, Oh, I can control my alcohol. Look at other facets in your life. How are you emotionally codependent? Mm-hmm. You know, how are you dealing with everything? The adversities that come up in our lives, the yeah. struggles, right. The challenges we face and you hit the nail on the head that it's how we deal with that. Mm-hmm. And there is a link to the ism piece to that, which yeah. I, I think is really important that you, you touch yeah. point on. Yeah. So thank you so much yes. for that. Okay. So let's talk then. And I want you to bring up one thing. We had a little bit of a pre-chat prior to this discussion today about the idea of introduction of alcohol. And it, I want you to talk touch point on that. Oh yes. Yes. About, about being a baby and what, Oh yeah. I love so, that. Okay. You know, when this is a great question, Julie's asking about, you know, when, it, when did alcohol enter into my life? And, and the truth is, this is the truth is that I came from a family where like even the whiskey was put on the gums of the baby. Right. And so possibly that was something maybe that was just, that came from time, you know, evolution, right. Just putting that, but here's what I know about the disease of addiction, the disease of alcoholism. If you're genetically predisposed to that and you get that drug, that substance inside of you, it does something chemically to your brain. Well, then now you're in a seeking place to get more of it. 
So I came into a family that didn't have that necessarily an understanding of the disease because there was shame involved. Just get your shit together. Stop drinking. You know, what the, what in the sand hell is wrong with you? You never think before you talk, you know, don't you cry. I'll give you something to cry about. That's what I came from. And they did. And they did give me something to cry about. You know, that was the place that I came from. Yeah. So alcohol was introduced even in our, in our dinners in our daily life. Like it was put on our ice cream, like cream de mint, brown cow. I don't know if you've ever had those things, but they're absolutely delicious. They're so yummy. What are they? Cream de mint is like, it's like a mint, yummy mint, but it's alcohol. And then brown cow is like chocolate milk with like a kick. Like what kid would not want to drink that? Exactly. Well, oh, and I the, craved it. Well, and the crazy thing is I want to kind of back up a bit because you touch point on the fact that, okay, back in the day, we didn't have all these amazing naturopathic type, you yeah. know, teeth soothers and yeah. things like that. But it's interesting if, and I want to go back the idea that you learn as a baby and maybe you're, you don't actually cognitively know this, but you learn as a baby that if this, whatever this is, yeah. this liquid that I put on my teeth numbs yes. the pain, Yes, the pain, the pain, right? Yeah. How does that then help me in my life when I'm dealing with emotional pain? And a lot of people yeah. are stores and stuffers and hoarders, right? With their emotions. It's all linked. It's so linked. Right. And then my so family's a bunch of hoarders. I, I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I was that way for yeah. a very long time for myself, yeah. but it's interesting because the pain portion of it, and it's really crazy because back in the eighties, seventies, sixties, I mean, that's just what people did. You yes. know, they would give somebody a kid Benadryl. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah, I, Benadryl. I, I, I don't know I how just, many of you guys had parents that. So my mother, my mother, we they would, give leave, you Benadryl. would leave my kids to go to go on a vacation or go on a date. And I would come back to my children and be like, mom, what did you do? Oh, I just gave some Benadryl. My mom would just drug the kids. Wow. <laughs> well, and you know what? That's I quite mean, common. all the time, you know, but I just made, there was a lot of times and, no one did, and I were like, what just happened to our children? Right. And nothing, nobody thought of it because it's harmless. Right. Mm. But yet, I mean, Benadryl, what is it going to do unless you're over OD on it? Yeah, right. Are. But I mean, the harmlessness behind it, oh, we're all just, but if you've got alcoholism in your family, yeah. right. And generationally yeah. alcoholism, people yeah. have died from it. Um, people yeah, have people killed themselves or, you yes. know, my grandfather, he killed himself. And there's, and yeah. That whole, that whole side of that family, there's handfuls of people that have just, you know, blown their brains out. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and the thing is, is alcoholism can skip generations. Mm -hmm. And so the pain is so great and you don't know what to do. It just feels better to say, I just want to be dead. I'm not kidding you. I'd rather just be dead. Yeah. And you know, and a lot of people to have to feel their emotions. I hope this is not going to come across very sexist. I'm not trying to be, but men, especially. Oh yes. And there is such a high rate of men that are alcoholics. I mean, it's crazy. It's well, women are right up there now, which I, I I can see that I don't have the statistical data, but I feel like to touch point on that, it's so scary that men are not able to really feel and they use other things to kind of numb themselves that way they don't have to feel, but it, yeah, those are part of our society. It's men part are of our supposed society. to look all this and be all, you know, that yeah. and be able to, for men to be able to, you know, but, articulate but, their emotions and but women now. Mm-hmm. Okay. With the society that we are now in yeah, women are now becoming this power player yes. in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So then also too, they're now starting to suppress their own emotions. Mm-hmm. So I can see why alcoholism for women have yeah. gone up in the ranks, heart attacks, yes things like that, that are coming into play. It's like, well, are we not dealing with 
the things that we're feeling or, you know, the stresses that we feel. And is it better just to like hoard it and store it or numb it? And that's kind of where, like, I think it's just fascinating that, that we're talking about that and that's coming up. So anyway, I won't keep digressing, but great. Okay. So we talked a little bit about how alcohol was introduced to you. And then let's talk a little bit about how you used alcohol kind of in your adolescence. If you did, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you did. Mm -hmm. And then what that looked like and how it you know, it kind of carried into your adult life. Yeah. So basically we're talking about, you know, how alcohol played a role in my struggles. So it, you know, it's not so much about how alcohol did, but alcoholism it's now knowing what I know now that I was genetically predisposed to this. And so, you know, alcohol is but a symptom of the disease of alcoholism. So it really rests in our mind. It's literally in a level of, you know, mental illness and sanity. So the struggles were, were great. So one of the moments I have in my life, I would love to share is like, I was very young and I don't know if I was maybe about eight or nine. And I was just really in so much pain. Me, like I was in pain mentally. I was in pain physically. I just didn't understand why I was so much in, in so much pain. And I rode my bike from the top of the hill all the way down um, when we didn't have to wear helmets in to the Flathead Lake on that dock. And I sat there on that dock and I looked across Flathead Lake, those gorgeous mountains. And I said, God, why is everything so painful? Why do I feel this way? And I was just bawling, like hot tears coming down my cheeks. And I heard a voice and he said, Heidi, one day you will know love and you will be loved. And he gave me a vision of my life today. I heard that voice and there was without, it was like a boom. And I was just like, and I sat there and I still cried and I still had to go what I, I had to go through which was a lot, but you know, I I guess the point is, is the struggle is that I always felt isolated. I felt very self-conscious. I felt, you know, how alcohol is a social lubricant, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I always was like, I don't know how to be within my own skin. And when alcohol came into my being, I was capable of just like, Hey, walking through the door. How are you doing? How's it going? You know, nobody would have known that inside I was such a really self-conscious lack of self-confident person. You know, I actually actually even wore nylons to play basketball in. And if any of you might know me, my legs are probably one of the most amazing assets of (laughs) of my body. Amazing. I I came from this brain that was been, you know, traumatized, right? The amygdala of my brain was always on fire. It was always trying to figure things out, patent smooth, patent smooth. Cause when you're in a child of of an alcoholic, you just don't know when it's going to come at you. Mm -hmm. And the things that were said to me is like, what passes your lips goes onto your hips, you know? And, and my mom struggled greatly with being obese. And my dad just like, verbally chastised her all the time for it. And she was really sick. She dealt with some very great, deep mental illnesses and, you know, in in alcoholism and she couldn't connect one to two to three to four. And she would try anything and everything, but it never really stuck. And she was always in so much shame, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was really hard. So I guess to connect all that, how did alcohol play a role in my struggles? Greatly. Wow. From a very young age, I sat in my home at probably a very young age where I had gotten into the liquor cabinet, sat in a recliner after I drank something, I don't know what it was. And I remember feeling the warmth that went over my whole body. And I remember just sitting there and I was like, Oh, thank yeah. you. I no longer feel any pain. This is great. And I just could feel everything else outside of me moving around mm-hmm. and I felt good. And you know, what's so crazy, Heidi, cause I just wrote down a couple of points, but, and that's the thing too, is, you know, speaking to the folks that are listening in, it's interesting because we think about the sociability of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we become braver. If we're that wallflower, if we're internally, you know, struggling and we don't have the self-confidence and we look at our kids, right? Yeah. So, you know, kids get in trouble for going to parties, right? Yeah. 
and drinking and everything else. And I wonder sometimes do parents ever stop and think, you know, they, they want to yell at them, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a parent, you're a parent. Mm-hmm. They want to yell at them and be like, how could you do this? How could you embarrass me? How could you make such a stupid mistake? But if we stopped as parents and had a discussion with them of like, why did you feel the need to drink? Is there things that we need to to work on as far as like self-confidence? Well, Judy, if I could say, if I was that child right yeah, now, I would be yeah. like, well, you do it, mom, you do it, dad, yeah. you're drinking. Yeah. And it's okay. And it we makes become, you feel braver. You're become, a different person when we, you're drinking. Right. And I like that. And right. I want to be that. Right. So, I mean, if you our children become a product of their environment, mm-hmm. a study, right. So, I mean, yeah. even the yeah. social economic part, like yes. even the money part, right. I yeah. mean, all parts of it, that yes. you become a product of our environment. I sit back and wonder sometimes like, how does that guy have that million dollar home? Right. Right. Where we're all God's children. So I can do these things, but there's some, there's some spiritual experiences that have to happen. Yeah. You know, the laws of attraction that have to come into play place for these things to happen. And it's, so I think that, you know, a a child, if they are around the environment of alcohol and they see their parents coping through the day with using alcohol, even though they may not be alcoholic, right. They could be predisposed to it a hundred percent and they just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. How do we find the the relief to the overwhelmed of life? Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about what was the moment that you recognized that you had a chemical dependency, number one, Mm -hmm. and was there a pinnacle moment? And then (laughs) if so, right. And if there was a pinnacle moment yeah. and then, you know, kind of what did you do? Okay. Well, so, I mean, there's there's four stages of the disease of alcoholism. Once you press press the third one, it goes into the brain barrier and it's done. So you know, I didn't know this. I fought tooth and nail like any alcoholic does. Right. Cause no person wants to be bodily different from their fellow man. Oh yeah. Even though I knew so I was good. Yeah. Say that one more time. No human being, no, no person wants to be bodily different from their fellow man. Now, Julie, this is not mine. That comes from the big book of AA. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Love it. Quote, so quote. I've gone to <laughs> probably a thousand meetings now. Okay. And, um, so I have someone's in here and thank you God for that opportunity that yeah, Bill Wilson amazing. and Bob could write this book in 1938 and save millions of people's lives throughout the world. Billions. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Billions. So, That's um, amazing. I, and I, I also want to say that their book, that book mm-hmm. and all the steps yeah. kind of wrote what the behavioral conditioning yes. responses, yeah. how to heal yourself, mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. how to recognize how to go through those different stages of anger, betrayal, mm-hmm. well, grief, yeah. everything. Yeah. That's all part of the human conditioning yeah. experience. I feel like it's the foundation yeah. of psychology. I don't know. Beautiful. That's my, that's my well, opinion. And, and, and <laughs> as you get farther, if you, when you, if you have an opportunity ever to anyhow, it, it coincides a lot with, I mean, I'm going to talk about it, the Bible you yeah. read in there and there is spiritual truths and principles that guide you to be a good, decent human. Right. Boom. Absolutely. You know? So when did I realize that I was, I'm struggling with chemical codependency whole life, but you know, it takes what it takes jails and institutions. Okay. <laughs> Which is the truth. Okay. Yeah. So let's have a truth talk, yeah. a truth bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a pinnacle piece yeah. to jails and institution in your life? Absolutely. So, okay. you know, I mean, are we have a, this, and that's my goal where you're going to ask me what's my hope rope and all that. And I'm really grateful to talk about that, but I, I hope to just blast some of this out because we all have these facades in our lives, right? We all try to look the part. And I was trying really hard to look the part, but alcohol had got me. And now I couldn't even really even drive without being under the influence. So my second DUI was child criminal endangerment. Terrible. Yeah. yeah that'd be hard. I was doing 35 and then 25 yeah. and my son, Jake was in the car. He was 11 years old at the time. That nugget, that is just a beam out there in the world. 
saw his mom get arrested. Yeah. Handcuffed. And I was in jail for four days. Wow. And by the grace of God, you know, I, I was able to get out. I don't know if anybody's done jail time, but it's not any fun. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. It's just, in, in, I've in never fun. done jail time, but I've heard stories. <laughs> you know, I come yeah. from a family that has done some jail times, you know, right. like, oh, it's no big deal. This happens. You know, and you're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. But then I got a lawyer who said, you know, Heidi, you got to look right in the judge's eyes. So you just need to go to treatment. So I just, you know, I just Googled whatever and found a treatment place. It was Grace Recovery. I like the name Grace. Yes. And I thought it was great. Our insurance took, and I went, but it was a shithole <gasps> in Tacoma, Washington. Knowing what I know now, I would give myself the Malibu place or a Hazelden place, like a mm-hmm. Betty Ford place, like a three-month treatment place where it's really nice. Yeah. But I went to a shithole called Grace Recovery in Tacoma, Washington, like in the hood. It was a crack house where I literally... This house mom person that was like, you know, where I did work and have raised three children, but I was drinking. I watched people come off of heroin, meth, cocaine, right set next to me. It was something that blew my fucking mind. Okay, hold on. <laughs> but let's just say this. Let's say oh. you went to Malibu. Yeah. You wouldn't have had that experience of like, a, like this, no. this can get yeah. really bad. Hey, like, so, right. And here's my crazy. And this yeah. is my crazy. This is where I was crazy. I would say to the alcoholic next to me, as we were being schlepped to different meetings, because we got, we were always put in this white van. I called it a druggy buggy to different meetings every day, like NA okay. meetings and AA yeah. meetings. And I had no business being there. If only these people would just figure out their shit and get their life together. They'd be fine. Mm-hmm. That was my mindset then. I didn't have a problem. I didn't have a problem. Okay. They had a problem. They needed to figure out I was fine. I just had a problem. I just had a and mishap. Why am I here? Yeah. Right. Why am I here? Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so, so with that, then I sat there in, in this place for three weeks and I say to the, the fellow alcoholic next to me going, you know what you and I do, we just drink wine or beer. That's like made out of grapes and hops. Mm-hmm. These people over here are putting chemicals in their body. They have the problem. Right. And you know, what's interesting. <laughs> that I, was my I know, reasoning. I know, I know, but also too, it's so funny because there's so much shame in it. And you always think, oh, the alcoholic is the big drunk at the townie bar. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, right. And really, honestly, now I will tell you all it's the housewife. Yeah. It's the upscale Beverly Hills, you know, mm-hmm. PTA mom. Yeah. It, that's what it is. Yeah. It's the truth behind it. And, you know, and we have to erase that stigma around mm-hmm. it. We truly do. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's not even that it's maybe it's not just even alcohol, but I mean, they're dabbling in other crap. Oh, and I, 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 I mean, they are. That. So what was really pinnacle for me too, in the demise of myself and the disease was in 2009 on a camping trip. My mom, I was like, oh, I can't sleep. Sleep has always been lucid. I've never been a good sleeper until now in recovery. I can sleep beautifully now. And, and that would be because I was always in that pain. And so my mom always had us medicated. We always like either went and got medication for any cold antibiotics. Awful. My gut was ruined. My whole, I fixed my gut but then medicated with like Prozac name, any of the antidepressants I had been on them since I was age 14. Cause my mom took me to people. Yeah. Okay. But then in 2009, I'm out on a camping trip with my parents. And my mom goes here, you can't sleep. Try this. And she gives me clonopin. Now for me, this kind of brain that is the, this brain of um, addiction or disease, it just goes, boom. it's like a, a record player that goes like this. So me taking one clonopin with a glass of wine, Oh my God. I found my crazy saving grace. It just took this brain that went like this and went like this. Yeah. And I, I was had, I was had so that I had to get off of that first um, until I could get off of alcohol. And that's a prescription medication. And you know, doctors slept to me all the time. Cause I would go to them and be like, Oh, I don't, I feel this way. Oh, here, would you like a prescription? 
Yeah. And even if I would go to a doctor at one point, I said to him, I, this is how I feel. You know, I just can't get everything together. Da, da, da. And he goes, you know, Heidi, you know, maybe if you just ran five miles every day and had sex every day, you'd be great. But since you probably can't do that every day, here's a prescription for Toradol or Prozac. It's unreal because I have so many friends and, you know, people that I know of that have, they go to their doctor and, it, you know, instead of like, this is what, this is what pisses me off. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Okay. This is what just pisses me off is that instead of getting an intervention type mm-hmm. system set up or mm-hmm. it play, we're set up to fail. We're set up to be doped up, yeah. clonopined up. And let me just tell you, I will be completely honest with you. Clonopin, that and effects are, those are some of the, yeah. I worked in, I worked in pharmaceutical sales. Okay. Yeah. So the fact that people get on these so laissez-faire and their doctors are so, oh yeah, you can go on it for a couple months right. and come off. No. That's bullshit. No. Okay. Ask any person that's been on clonopin and they have these withdrawals when they're trying to get off of them. The other one is Paxil. Paxil is another one yes. where you try to get off of it. And it's literally like you're going insane yes. and, and it's so under the rug. So yeah. what you end up doing is you end up getting back on. It's a vicious cycle because yes. your receptor sites are getting completely replaced yes. by these synthetic, you know, yeah. in whatever they're called neurotransmitters, you know, synthetic chemicals or whatever. And you're on this vicious cycle and all you are doing is truly just numbing yourself. Mm-hmm. And eventually when the clonopin runs out, you'll add, you'll start adding other things. This is the way it goes. And it's really sad to hear that. And now they're doing that with kids. Yeah. It's addiction. They're feeding into the addiction cycle. So the fact that they give these statistics on addiction Mm -hmm. in general, I think is totally under it's bullshit. It's way higher than that. And now it's trickling into our children because that's the first thing they want to give them. A kid comes in and presents that he's depressed or Mm -hmm. sad. Instead of getting to the root of it, asking the parents, having an intervention, they immediately will hear, here's your uh, effects or here's, oh, he can't sleep very well. Okay. Give him some clonopin. Right. It's really, it's disheartening. So I'm glad that we're kind of bringing this to light. Okay. So we went to jail. We got out. Is that when you started the Oh, okay. Not the recovery process was not when it started. You would think, right. You would think that'd be enough. Right. 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 It wasn't. Okay. The pain had to get even greater. I think at that time and see things get pretty blurry, but I think after that is when my back went out and that was of my own doing. This is where the body dysmorphia really comes in, you know, and that's just basically, you know, body dysmorphia is fear in walking form. It is literally an insidious voice that tells you you're not good enough you're a piece of shit and that, you know, you're not okay. That's for me with dysmorphia is. And so that had really hit in. And and when I would see like a number on a scale, and at this point after this, that level of shame to me by not being able to keep it together from the outside, like looking all good, right. In this body. Cause that's what I had. I could do that. I no longer have that anymore. My alcoholism had taken that away. So the number on the scale had really skyrocketed. I was now exhibiting a body that looked alcoholic. I had like a really like descended gut, mm. you know, I wasn't well. And so I went to a doctor and told them, oh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just don't know why I can't lose this weight and why the scale is getting so big. And for me, that was like, at that time was 180 at the, and, and normally I live in a life of about 165, you know, 168. And you guys, I will tell you, Heidi's taught me a lot about the BS around the scale. I'm we'll muscular. talk about that yeah. on a different episode, I'm, but so yeah, for, for sure. women at five, five, eight, I'm, I'm very I'm muscular. So I have a lot of skeletal muscle mass in my, you know, we'll talk more about that, but I'm not fat at all. I just am athletic and I have more muscle. Okay. So right. with that, but I didn't, wasn't able always to comprehend all that. And that's why I am who I am today to help people with that. Okay. 
So I go and get this, this medication again called, oh Lord, it's the stuff, fentramine, fentramine. They gave me fentramine. And so that fentramine I took for one month, basically didn't eat exercise crazy, like P90X, run five miles a day. And I sucked every living nutrient out of my body. My entire hips and sacrum rotated. And I like threw out four discs in my back. The whole right side of my body shut down. The nervous system, the pain that went through my whole body was excruciating. It literally was debilitating. I would never even wish this on Satan himself. It was the most awful pain ever. And I lost like eight inches around in my right leg that I've slowly gotten back, but it debilitated me greatly. So that pain had to get great enough. I knew then though that God was getting to me in my ego, because that was the one place that I always held in the most highest regard is how I could manage myself physically with my look, (laughs) keeping everything together, right? I could control that. I could look good but now that was gone and I had been had. And so even I would go to my physical therapy appointments of, you know, drinking because I would drink, take the hydrocodone or whatever they gave me or uh, muscle relaxants. Thank you, Jesus, for those at the time. And with not really, but like alcohol, I would even, that's how bad I was. And so it took a little bit more time. I went to something called Trace Diaz. It was a woman's retreat and there's men's too, where I was loved on for four days And it really was the time where I was like, I couldn't understand that God or Jesus, or there was a higher power that could love me, even though I had done so many bad things. I was like, you over there, or you over there, or you lady over there, you don't understand. There's things that I have done in my life that you won't accept me for. I had so much shame. I couldn't comprehend. And it got through that I was loved. Even though that I was so broken, I was still loved and something seeped through. And at that time, I no longer touched Klonopin ever again. Wow. And I worked really hard and I was still drinking, but I was trying so hard. I started to Google things. I started to Google things. And one woman came up and her blog was called unpickled. She's from Canada and it spoke to my heart and she gave me light and hope. She didn't necessarily do a 12 step like program of AA, but she worked them somehow. And it gave me hope. And I hung on to that because it was getting so bad for me. I literally was Googling, okay, liver transplant. How do I do those? Holy buckets. I know. I was literally starting to think like <laughs> wow, that. Wow. Wow. And it's just because I knew that I wasn't feeling well. So then did you then transition after that to the alcoholic support? Right. So it wasn't literally until October 29th. I sat in my own house. I mean, all was done. Everyone hated me. I mean, my family was at ruins. There was no coping skills at all. All was lost. And I just literally sat there in my chair in my home. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. And I, I turned my will my life over. I just gave it over. And at that point, it literally physically felt like I was coming from the highest point in the universe into this place now. And I walked on the most shakiest legs every day. And then I did celebrate recovery and AA simultaneously. And I dove in and every day my legs got a little less shaky. I remember what it was like to be seven days sober and everything like was different, but it did get better. And I got a therapist. I got acupuncture. Two people that saved my lives were my therapist and my acupuncturist had to do that because my body fought it. My ego wanted me always to be this way, but my spirit had to go this way to be who I am. And my body would fight it. And my ribs would literally out of my back. Man. And my acupuncture. And you know what? That doesn't even like. Get, sometimes that doesn't doesn't even get to people. It's like, oh, I'm just broken. No, oh, they'll was, repair me, and I'll keep moving forward. I was fighting it. I was fighting it to, to get rewired. Yeah. I had to be rewired. New yeah. neurological, yes. new neurological pathways, like deer trails, had to be made in my head. Yeah. Like there'd be times when I encountered a situation where normally I would not be able to confrontation. Mm-hmm. When you do this, this is how I feel. I didn't know how to do that. But finally, when I was on my shaky lace without a drink in my hand to say, you know, when you talk to me that way, that really doesn't feel good. Could you please 
yeah. you know, not talk to me that way. I thought I was going to die. I felt like I was going through a hallway of fire in that level of confrontation and the panic and fear that was set into me to have a confrontational conversation was just horrid because I would, I numbed myself. That's a lot of people. Really? I mean, the idea of communication and our needs for communication and yeah. connection and yeah. what we our boundaries mm-hmm. and everything else. It's very scary mm-hmm. for people that were raised in similar childhoods oh. like you, oh where you do not, you, yeah. you wake up every day to not rock the boat with your parents if they're not able to literally deal with life. Right. So yes. confrontation is super scary for folks. My dad's hat on his head. You just yeah. didn't know when it was going to come off and whack. You yeah. did not know. Yeah. Especially in abusive. Yeah. 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 Wow. Heidi, that's yeah. So amazing. October 29th, I put it all in and I went and it was not easy. The first year I had three things to do. Uh, don't drink. Yeah. Don't really change anything. And I was told to stay married. And that was probably the hardest thing I ever did. Yeah. A lot of divorce with. Yeah. Alcoholism. Because I woke up in my and life. sobriety in yeah. sobriety. Well, yes. Because yeah. my dear friend that I grew up with, she said, Heidi, this is what you was Christy. She said this, Heidi, you know, you were on this battlefield, right? And you were out there and you were slicing. Yeah. And you were beat up and bloodied yourself and you were you were battling life. And then finally you threw all the source down. You said no more. And you gave your will over. And then you realized you needed to bandage yourself up. And I started to bandage myself, but guess what? Everyone else around me was still fighting. Yes. They weren't well. Well, and so I want to talk a little bit. I'm going to transition a smidge. So you were on the journey towards sobriety, but then also you had to deal with the whole body dysmorphia disorder, which, you know, I mean, it doesn't just come with alcoholism. There's always something else usually going on at play. And I want to explain a little bit. So I cited something that on my podcast, I like to talk a little bit about, you know, science and I like to refer back to sources and everything. So and I'm going to say the refuge slash a healing place.com had some amazing statistics on body dysmorphia disorder. So it's really relatively common. Like I said, 2.0% of the population, general population has it. That's a lot of freaking people. And I guarantee you that there's more than that. So we have that. And then we also have the study suggests that the BDD is more common than disorders such as schizophrenia, anorexia. So, I mean, like, I thought that was really interesting. And then they did a study that showed that nine to 12%, they found that body dysmorphia presented itself in dermatology settings. So this is, it gets even better. You guys three to 53% of cosmetic surgery settings. They found there was a ton of BD, which I would say it was even higher than that. This is just a study from a long time ago, eight to 37%, because we have social media, we have Kim Kardashian. We we have all these people that you look at and go, I want to be like that. And these girls are seeing this. So eight to 37% in OCD, a lot of OCD with it, social phobias. The other one I thought was interesting was, let's see here. Hold on depression disorders. So they'll find BDD body dysmorphia disorder and depression. So that's Mm -hmm. around 42% of people that have depression disorders. And then you look at depression as a whole, there's a same amount of people that are suffering from anxiety, depression. They're usually kind of sometimes lumped together. Mm -hmm. So then you have on top of that, they're also dealing with BDD that's unrecognized. Mm -hmm. That's crazy to me. So I don't know if you want to give the breakdown of what to look for, for behaviors that, I mean, especially for moms that are out there that have children that, you know, they're always on social media and they're, you know, looking at their favorite person that, you know, they start to say, Oh, I want to look like Kim Kardashian. I want to look like 
I don't know, some of the new actresses, I hardly watch any, Gal Gadot, whatever, she's the Wonder Woman, right? So what are some of the behavioral symptoms that you can list off so you can, you can recognize that in your own family? Well, so what we have here is, you know, constantly checking one's appearance in the mirror. So this is number one. I worked with a coach to overcome my disordered eating. So she's written a book called Surviving Disordered Eating. Her name is Barbie Weber. She was a coach that helped me greatly. I got her right away in my journey in recovery because she wrote this book and because she had overcome anorexia and bulimia. And so one of the things we did on that was always this because she gave me tools on how to battle that. Is this something that you do, Heidi? Do you go in front of a mirror and when you walk by, you always grab your stomach and then go judge yourself? Like day in, day out for years after years after years, I go to the bathroom, look at myself in the mirror, check myself pinch on something and then shame myself. And my children watched this. So this affected not only my daughter and my sons, and it was chronic in which then anything chronic creates a vibration of dis-ease, which hurts our brain, which hurts our amygdala. And you can feel the dissension. You can feel the angst. You can feel that in a family. We can feel this low vibration of shame energy. It is a reality. So constantly picking that skin. Absolutely. I would pick up my skin obsessively I had lots of scarring. I would get in the mirror and what my mind was doing when I was picking at that skin is I was trying to figure anything out and I can't figure everything out. That's God's job, not me. Excessive personal grooming. Absolutely. I I hurt myself in the way that I would exercise a lot. You know, some of it, not so much, but you know, now I know, uh, you know, the pendulum swings right here for me, but sometimes it was here. Sometimes it was here, right? Overuse of makeup. Absolutely. There's somebody on here right now that one time Nick told me that Heidi one day I came to work and this is in sobriety and recovery and I didn't have very much makeup on me said, Heidi, you know, you look really pretty without all that makeup on. Wow. That's so nice. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. Okay. Persistent negative comments about one's own appearance. Oh, sure. And then seeking reassurance for others. Absolutely. Right. Do I look okay? Do I look good? Do I look good? Do I look good? I still do it. Like, kind of, like constantly worried about it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can name off, I will never do that, but I can name off people that, obsessed about that in high school and the college. Yeah. And it's like, wow, like, like so, their own thought, it processes solely around whether or yeah. not it's pe- safety. They're worried about people judging them or that they don't no. look, en- they're not enough. Right. That's, and so that's true. really sad. But I if, mean, they, it's, if they can get that, if they can grab onto that, yeah. then they feel safe. That's yeah. how I felt. I felt safe. Yeah. If I could just validation is also a very yeah. big codependent yeah. trait. Okay. Go so ahead. seeking cosmetic medical procedures to first fix perceived physical flaws. I have done this or expressing dissatisfaction with the results of prior cosmetic procedures, frequently changing clothes and attempt to improve appearance, Hmm. social withdrawal. Yes. Physical symptoms, damage to skin due to compulsive picking muscle damage due to excessive weightlifting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So, I mean, and I feel like this is a whole nother topic and you guys, we can always come back on to social media and do another episode on specifically, you know, this body dysmorphia, anorexia, bulimia, we can kind of dive into those areas. And you know, what are some of the triggers around it? What are some of the causative factors? What's connected to it emotionally? So we can save that for another episode, but I'm glad that we touched point on that. So thank you so much, Heidi, for walking through that. Okay. So I want to ask you, you went through the self-discovery process and you started to recognize you know, what you wanted for your life personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. So let's transition into what did you discover about that? Well, I mean, being reborn personally, I worked really hard, you know, and, and that's really where, you know, the name, we'll talk more about that. Yeah. But you know, I had to get really fierce to find my voice and to be okay to, to express my voice. And so working in a 12 step program was pivotal. I'm um, getting the help I said, but personally, I really wanted, you know, to be a better person. Yeah. 
I didn't want to be this way. Nobody wants to be this way. Right. Nobody right. wants to be bodily different or mentally different than yeah. others. They want to yeah. be able to get along. And so that powerlessness that I was able to admit that I was powerless over alcohol, that my life had become unmanageable, that powerlessness meant that I was willing to admit that the way that I was living life was ineffective and it was based on willpower and control and that I was not any longer just going to rely upon my own willpower and my control yeah. that I was willing to look at a higher source to take care of me. And yeah. I, and I did that. So, and, but I want to backtrack a little bit here too. My son, my oldest son, Brendan, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know at, at the time. You know, I know, I know something different, but he was born that way. He was born with this, this disease. Yeah. 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 And so he yeah. struggled greatly his whole life. And, and there's, had, a, there's a genetic. Yeah. And this. he was abandoned. Yeah. He was abandoned yes. by me. And because I dropped his hands, dad, his dad's hand and went, went to my husband's hand now. And he was confused. He's like, what is going on? You know, it wasn't functional. There was absolute emotional neglect. Yeah. I was selfish and self-centered, only thinking of myself at the time, but I didn't realize that. And so in my journey, I would look at my son, Brendan, and go, God, what is wrong with him? Why can't we get him? You know, I mean, everything. We tried everything. Name it. And, you know, that's, again, I heard this booming voice. Heidi, you can't do anything for him if you can't do it for yourself. And I did. I got help. And so as time happened, we got him help. Now he lives this awesome, amazing, beautiful life. And he is functioning and whole. And it is Awesome. And that is a thousand prayers answered. That's amazing. I God love is that so is good. awesome. God is good. Okay. Okay. Professionally, you want me to talk about that? Yeah. I want you to talk a little bit about, so Heidi's practice is called fierce grace mm-hmm. wellness. It's a cell to soul practice. So I want you to speak upon, you obviously kind of gave a little bit away about the grace. Mm-hmm. That's where that came from. Right. Mm-hmm. But I want you to speak upon the, where you came up with this idea and, and the why as to why did you feel that this was your calling? I've always wanted to be in this arena, to be able to be of, of health and wellness, to give that light and to help people to be there. And it, it really was a piece always in my life. So being able to have exercise, I love exercise. It really is the feel good drug that creates dopamine in our brain, the endorphin, serotonin. It really is that pill, that magic pill that we're looking for. And I knew that I always had that. I love it. I love to be vitally alive and awake and aware and be out there in the world being in it. This planet that we get to be on, holy cow, it is freaking awesome. And I want to be able to participate. Okay. So fierce grace and, you know, fierce is we have to act with intense force to receive elegance and beauty of life. So we all want to be able to effortlessly fit into our genes. We all want to have this place of, oh, but to get there, we got to do some kick-ass work. We got to work hard. We got to show up. We got to have these feelings and emotions really got to move to the side. And we got to do, which is faith in action. So we got to do some of the hard work to get there. Some there's some non-negotiables to who we are as a human being that we need to do to take care of ourselves. And that's our job. That's our responsibility to take care of ourselves. And if we can't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of others. So God wants us to be that way. He talks about that in scripture. Take care of yourself so you can be there for love and like brothers. And this is what it really means. Fierce grace wellness is truth in its purest form, making every cell in our body tingle. The overall sense of self becomes confident in grace. I ultimate our ultimate mission as a member of the species of Hopio sapiens is to reach back to the untainted time when we were of an embryo, all capable, all wise, all knowing and become comfortable with that magnitude of responsibility. That's fierce grace wellness. That is awesome. That gave me tingles. But yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, she's if I amazing. Can do it, you can do it. That's exactly. I will like, I just want to say how much I love you because the fierce piece of this 
everything that she said about being fierce and how she coaches and how she bust your ass in sessions. Yeah. It's about, do you want to make some choices to improve upon your health and how you feel about yourself? Then let's get to work. So I have personal coaching experience with her. She is my coach. So so grateful for that. I am too. We have <laughs> had a phenomenal, what, how many months now? Oh gosh, we're, we're seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine months. And this is where we're at. It's yeah. unreal. Yeah, it truly is. Yeah. Like I feel very blessed. And here's the thing. Once we're done with taking that action, we can rest. Yes. Now that's a crazy thing to get to grasp. We get to rest and let go. I love it. I love it. I yeah. love it. Drink your water. Eat your protein. Yep. Eat your good carbs. She gives you grace. And the other piece of this is, as speaking from personal experience, she understands your limits. She understands your potential. So she gives you that window of grace of like, well, I want you to make the choice. Do you want to go up and wait? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And it's, it's not a, you're going to do this. No, because here's the thing. If you've come from a place of trauma, we got to acknowledge that because about a year ago employed um, a bodybuilder to be a trainer and I'm sitting there doing some of these lifts. And one of the girls comes by and says, yeah, just go for it. Just go for it. I stopped and said, no, I will no longer speak that way to myself. I hurt myself that way. I'm going to do the best I can. And that's enough. Of course I go harder. You know, I mean, we want that grit. We want to, you know, definitely as a health and wellness coach, my job is to elicit that fighting spirit in you. Absolutely. But we don't want to hurt or harm ourselves anymore. We are not going to neglect ourselves anymore. We are important and we're not just the way we are. We just need to go one inch farther. Vince Lombardi, who took the Green Bay Packers from a 15-year losing streak, he said to the Green Bay Packers, you're good enough. A 15 losing streak. He said, you know, you're good enough just the way you are. I just want you to go one inch farther. Okay, that's it right there. There's the money in the bank. And that's what it is. Just go one inch farther. Just try one inch harder. And if you screw up, you know, take the gloves off. And just don't lose your shit and go 17 steps back. Just start again. That's called an iterate mindset. That's called resiliency. That's not willpower. That's called self-discipline. And you must build that just like you would a bicep or a tricep. It's called action. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Okay. So as you guys know, she has a type of client. Mm -hmm. I'm one of her clients. Can you explain a little bit about the type of client that you work with? You know, all kinds. My youngest client right now is 15 and my oldest client is 78 and anywhere in between. You know, I helped my son, Jake, my husband, and I both did. Um, we sat with him when he was a freshman in high school at 160 pounds. He now walks on earth at 240. And that's four years later. Did an in-body. I said, okay, at this 160, this is what you're going to need to eat for your protein, carbs, and fats. And this is the kind of workouts you're going to need to do to build 40 pounds of muscle. And he did it. He was reasonable. He, he was able to go. Okay. And so now, and anyone in between that has any sort of chronic disease. So some of my clients might be, let's say 300 pounds, but they need to lose 40 pounds before the doctor will give them a hip replacement. Absolutely. We can work together. And I have people that are in the later stages of life that just want to be able to continue on and and take good care of themselves. So I've worked with my therapist and she said, for sure, Heidi, you are capable of working with four different levels of people because we designed it. Yeah. And I know you do. So I, I'm really grateful for that. That's awesome. Okay. Let's move forward toward yeah. my key questions. Yeah. Okay. So everybody knows that on my podcast, I always ask the question, what inspires you? Hmm. 
you know, I, I thought about this a little bit and there's just, just to wake up every day is inspiring. I used to hate the birds. So waking up every day, I'm just grateful. And every day is like, I get to eat cake and choose what kind of frosting I want to put on it. And I'm not kidding you. And, and that's for anybody. We can have that kind of life. God tells us we can have that kind of life. And I have that life and I'm not perfect by any means. It's, it's progress, you know, over perfection. And some days are better than others. And sometimes all I have is, you know, I didn't pick up a drink, but that's really far and few between now five years, this brain's pretty well rewired. And I'm really healthy and well. And so what inspires me, my kids, my husband, you, Julie, everybody, just to be part of the human race freaking inspires me. I just love to be part of be vitally alive and awake and aware. I want to be of use. That's amazing. I want to see the planet too. That's awesome. I want to go to Australia. I want to go to Fiji. I want to go. I want to go all these places. That's awesome. Yeah. Time, space, life. I love it. Space, time, all of it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. 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 Then my other question is, so we may have somebody tuning in or listening to this podcast episode later on, and they are really struggling. You know, they they may wake up every day with self-hate. They may wake up every day in an abusive relationship. They may even be a kid in high school that, you know, has witnessed their parents fighting or drinking, or, Mm -hmm. you know, they're even abusive to them. Yeah. And you walk down this road. Yeah, I have. So what could you give them as far as a hope rope goes? What message would you give them? Well, this might be a little hard to hear. It might be the opposite of of what we're thinking you're going to hear right now, but this is what helped me. And then there's another side of it. So there are people who have grave emotional and mental disorders, but if they have the capacity to be honest with themselves, they will recover. It's on your side of the street. You're going to have to choose you. You're going to have to choose to be willing to be honest, to say, I need help. I got something here that's not working right and I need to seek help. And then by talking like this, we can blast out the stigma of blame and shame and know that there is literally dis-ease here. You know, you didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to be an alcoholic at no point in my life. I was like, yay, raise my hand. That's great. I was like, that's how I want to be. No, but I got to say, you know what? I got a problem. I have a disease of self against self, right? But I now know that I'm not alone. So that isolation that you feel, you're not alone. There's no one out here right now that's by themselves. I guarantee you, right? Those at that absolute thinking, like all or nothing is screwing you to death. You reach out, you get help, you get support. There is so many 12-step programs that are out there for all kinds of things, all kinds of things. And there's coaches galore. There are therapists galores. And you know, you want to make sure you're going to go to somebody that has what you want. So the book, Think and Grow Rich, find somebody that has what you want, do what they do. You'll get what they got. So don't go to another drunk and ask for help. I love for it. For God's sake. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Right? Yes. Go to a therapist. hundred percent. Yes. Stop dragging your feet. Just do it. Just do it. Awesome. Okay. Lastly, if somebody wants to work with you, like myself, yeah, which yeah. you can always reach out to me and I can direct you to her and I will okay. put all of her information in the, Thank you. in the comments, but do you have any programs? How would one work with you? What's coming up? Give yeah. us some ideas around that. So I love this because Julie is a go-getter to the core. She is amazing. And so everybody <laughs> wants that, right? They want the program. They want to sit there and order on QVC and have it delivered to the front door. And Amazon off their phone, boom, it's here in two days. Woo, I have something to say about that. Like when you work with me, it is a very holistic situation where we sit down and we're going to get to some crux of things. There's going to be confrontational conversation and anything you say with me stays with me. So I'm going to ask you questions of paint me a picture of what your life looks like. Tell me, we create a vision. 
We create three-month goals where you're going to be able to consistently be doing a behavior in three months from now. What do you want to be doing consistently? And then we support that with SMART goals, specific, measurable, action-based, realistic, and time-bound. And I will do my stretches from the physical therapist on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. I will drink 80 ounces of water. I will eat my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, that's where we start because I guarantee you a lot of people are not doing these things. Okay. So that's how (laughs) we begin. And so my program is that. And then from there, we branch off. Where else can we be supported? I'm now working right now to where in January, I'll be launching a 20-day reset program. Now that is going to be five weeks. I'm getting it all put together right now. So it's going to dial you in. It's going to have the menu. It's going to have the workouts. It's going to have everything that you need to know how to reset yourself. And it's going to be online. And then we're going to have once a week group coaching. And so that's going to be happening. I'm going to start putting that about mid-December to be purchased. Um, We probably can only take about 10 people in. And so look for that. That's going to be fabulous. And then there's all different things that I'm going to branch out on that's going to be available online so that we can do that. But right now I'm, I'm Zoom, I'm in-person coaching and I go to people for personal training. So that's what I do. Um, I've had a client that was all the way over in Netherlands yeah. and we, we kick some butts. So that's what we got. Yeah. Awesome. You guys. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Julie. You are so good. You're we, had so such good. A, we had such a good episode. You're you so guys, great. how many of you guys want her to come back? I want do. her to come back. And maybe we can ask you guys some fun topics that maybe you want to talk about. I do have some ideas. We've talked about some ideas yes. about you know, maybe some women's topics. I think so. Even as parents and mothers, mm-hmm. the guilt, the yeah. guilt piece around taking care of yourself. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. We can further dive into, you know, some of the struggles that we face when we're trying to go after goals in our lives. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, mm-hmm. that, I mean, we have something in mind that we're hoping to do down Absolutely. the road. I, if I say it, then it's real. That's what you should do. Cause then we manifest it. It comes to be, <sighs> so just do it, say it. I know, I know, I know, but it's still so pressure filled. That fear part, right? Yeah, it's that fear. And we could talk about that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she's been working with me on weightlifting. Mm -hmm. And as you guys know, many of you guys have followed my journey, have gone through chronic illness issues and had somewhat of muscle wasting problems. She has been tremendous in helping me, to which now I kind of see bigger picture goals of like, yes, of like potential bodybuilding. Yes. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> right. So thank you, Heidi. Thank you, Julie. Okay. Thank you so much, Julie. Yes. Thank you to Heidi for being here today. And you guys can contact Heidi through her website, which is fiercegracecoaching.com. Yep. I'll put all that information into the, the comments and then you guys connect with her on Facebook. So she's on Facebook under fierce grace wellness 33. And then Instagram, she's on Fierce Grace Wellness. So you guys essentially just connect with Fierce Grace Wellness. Look her up, do a Google search. And then she's on LinkedIn for those professionals. They claim they don't have time to work out, right? That's BS. Heidi can help you with that. (laughs) So she's on LinkedIn and she's under Heidi Rendina. Whoa, this is a huge 52940020. Too. We gotta fix that. I didn't know that. We'll fix it. But anyway, <laughs> and then obviously she, everybody's on TikTok, so it's under Heidi Rendina. So you connect with her, you guys. Call me. Yes. Four zero six two six one two five three four. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. We really appreciate it, and stay tuned for next episode that's coming soon. Take care. Yay, thank you. Woo. Wow, what a great episode, and a special thank you to our expert today. I hope today's episode inspired you, empowered you, and gave you some hope today. Thanks for listening. 
and stay tuned for our next episode. Cheers, my friend. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, review, or even share this podcast to someone who needs hope and inspiration. You can connect with me at www.flipinshift.com. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and even Clubhouse at Flip in Shift. Please join me next time for another expert chat or survivor talk.